so blessed to have with us tonight Pastor um, David Hurtwork and his family with us, um, Pastor in Clay, New York, Trinity Assembly of God, um, served um, in our network office for a number of years in our youth department and um, wore many other hats as well. Would you give a warm Greece Assembly of God welcome as he comes and encourages us in God's word tonight? Thank you, Pastor Pat. Appreciate the invitation to be here with you all tonight. Uh, my family did travel with me, so uh, that's always a treat. Um, my wife and I, Erin, will celebrate 12 years of marriage this fall, and we have three little girls. Lilia is 10, Caroline is 7, and Madeline is 4. I might have a picture for you. I'm not sure if they got it, but uh, three little girls, and so there they are. This is uh, last week. We're over at the beach in Jersey, and uh, life with girls is fun. Uh, people ask me, what's it like? And I say, it's a life of Disney dolls and drama. And the older they get, the less Disney and dolls and the more drama. Um, so pray for me. Recently, we were driving somewhere and out of the back seat, my little uh, Caroline said, Daddy, why are you the best driver in the whole world? And I thought, First, I thought, wow, thanks for noticing. And I kind of <laughs> nudged my wife, and I was like, see, I told you, best driver in the whole world. But I knew there was a reason that she had asked, and so I said, Caroline, why do you think that Daddy is the best driver in the whole world? And she said, oh, well, it's because you're always telling all the other drivers how to drive. <laughs> and then it was my wife's turn to sort of, Give me a little elbow. You know, um, that question did two things for me. It revealed something to me about my driving. I really wasn't super aware of, to be honest. And it reminded me that my girls were paying attention. And questions have the power to reveal things to us about ourselves and the power to remind us of things that are important. And I know in the summer months on Wednesday nights, you're coming together to pray. And so tonight we're going to talk about prayer. And when we approach a topic like prayer, it always brings really important questions to the surface. Questions like, uh, how should we pray? What should I pray about? When should I pray? Where should I pray? And uh, what about the prayers that don't seem to be answered? Tonight, I want to share a talk with you simply called, Why Pray? Why Pray? And we're going to look at one of the Apostle Paul's prayers in Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to read this prayer to you. This is Paul praying for the church at Ephesus. I'll be reading to you from the NLT translation, verses 12 through 19. Paul says this, Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I am suffering for you, so you should feel honored. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. And here's his prayer. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully. Then 
you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. So tonight as we look at this prayer, we notice it's pretty easy to identify what Paul prays for. He prays for things like inner spiritual strength and that Christ would make his home in the hearts of his people and that the Christians in Ephesus, the church in Ephesus would be deeply rooted in the love of God. But we should also take note and notice what Paul doesn't pray for. And Paul, in his prayer, never prays for a change in circumstances. He never prays that the circumstances surrounding the church in Ephesus would change, nor does he ask them to pray for a change in his circumstance. Now, Paul, this is one of the prison epistles. Paul wrote this letter to uh, Ephesus from prison. He's sitting in jail, and he doesn't ask them to pray for a change in his circumstance. And you might think, well, well surely later in the letter he, he'll get to it. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Would you pray for me? I'm in jail, that I'll get out of here and that things will change. Well, later in the letter, in fact, the last chapter of Ephesians, he does ask them to pray for him. But listen, just listen. This won't be on the screen for you. Listen to what he asks for prayer for. In verse 19 of Ephesians 6, he says, and pray for me too. And now at this point, we'd be waiting for him to say, pray that I get out of jail and that my jailers are smitten by God's wrath and you know all this sort of stuff. But he says, ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. I am in chains now, still preaching the message as God's ambassador. So pray, listen to his prayer request, so pray that I will keep on speaking boldly. In his book on prayer, Pastor Timothy Keller says this, it is remarkable that in all of his writings, Paul's prayers for his friends contain no appeals for changes in their circumstances. Now, let me pause and say, this is not to say that we shouldn't and can't ask God to intervene in our circumstances. There's many examples in the New Testament where we do that. In Acts 12, they prayed for Peter to be delivered from jail, and he was. In James 5, we're commanded to bring the sick to the elders of the church that they can be prayed for. And Peter himself, in one of his letters, tells us to cast our cares upon God because he cares for us. So the point is not to say that we can't ask for a change in our circumstances, but it does seem clear from Scripture, at least from this passage, that our primary motivation for prayer is not that God would change our circumstances, but that God God would change us in the middle of whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. And so tonight, when we look at this question, why pray, I want to suggest this big idea to you, and it's this. When we think as Christians, why should we pray? Here's my thought. Don't pray first, or primarily, don't pray first to see change. Pray first to be changed. Don't pray first to see change. Pray first to be changed. And I want to share with you the problem with praying first to see change, and I want to share with you the power in praying first to be changed. Okay, so let's talk first about the problems of praying first to see change, and there's two of them. The first one is this. The first problem when we pray first to see change is that the first problem is we don't know what we don't know. In verse 13, Paul said, please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I'm suffering for you so you should feel honored. Paul's essentially saying to the church of Ephesus, you may think you know how you should feel about this, but you don't, but you don't. See, each of us possesses such limited perspective and the propensity for unlimited self-centeredness. And so when we pray, have you, have you ever noticed that no one ever prays for bad things to happen for themselves? right? I don't pray for my girls as they go off to school in the morning. God bless Lilia, bless Carolina Mel as they go off to school. Let it be a difficult day for them. 
Let it be a day full of tests and trials and opportunities for their faith to grow. Let them be persecuted for their faith today and let their lunch be unsatisfying to their appetites, right? I don't pray that. We don't pray those sort of prayers. That's ridiculous. We don't even pray neutral prayers for ourselves. We only pray for good things for ourselves and for the people that we love. But how do you and I know with our limited perspective and with our propensity for an unlimited amount of self-centeredness, how do we even know what is truly good for us? How do we know? I'm in 1999, I headed off to, oh, sorry, 1996, I wanted to make myself a little younger. In 1996, I headed off to Bible college. I went to Elam, and my first year, I got a job at the little gas station right there in Lima. It's the only gas station. Lima only needs one gas station. And uh, I, I remember my first day there, I walked into the little uh, work area, and they had a radio, and it only played one station. And I immediately thought, I can't work here, because all it played was country music. Now, I didn't like country music at all as a high school student, and so I thought, this is terrible. But you know, a funny thing happened. Within like five days of working there, I knew all the songs, and I was singing them, and I was loving it. I was like, this is beautiful. And there was a song back then on the radio by an artist named Garth Brooks called Unanswered Prayers. And in his song, he talks about this idea that when he was a teenager, there was this girl in his high school that he loved, and, or that he thought he loved, and he wanted to marry her, and he thought, someday I'm going to marry her. And he said, every night he would pray to God, God, just give me this girl for my wife, and I'll serve you forever. Well, many years later, he goes back to the high school. Now he's married to somebody else. He sees his ex-girlfriend. He sees her at the game. He looks at her. He looks at his wife, and he thinks, God, thank you for unanswered prayers. See, there are times in our lives where we ask for things, and we don't, know, we don't even know what we're asking for. What if your prayers to see change are actually you anxiously and frantically trying to remove yourself from the very series of events and the very circumstances that God intends to use in your life for your good and for his glory? So we pray things like this. God, give me a better job, a better spouse, a better life. Change this, change that. And God's saying to us, no, no, I'm using those very things to change you. Last year was a very difficult year for my family. I preached the funeral of my dad in February. I preached the funeral of my younger brother, Joshua, in October. And I'll tell you what, in the midst of all of that, I wished for a different set of circumstances. I wanted life to be very different than it turned out last year. However, what I learned in the midst of that, I've learned many things, but one of the things I've learned in the midst of that is that God uses the worst circumstances of our lives to grow us, to shape us, to, to strengthen us for his purposes and for his plans. See, our prayers are often that the stuff around us would be rearranged to fit our preferences, when really we should be praying that the stuff inside of us be rearranged to fit his preferences. So we don't know what we don't know. Now, not knowing shouldn't paralyze us from coming and asking, but it should give us pause when we insist on seeing the change that we want. And this is very important. It should prevent us from losing our joy when we don't get what we think we want. Okay. The second problem with praying first to see change is that we end up praying for our God, lowercase g, instead of to our God uppercase G. Let me explain. In verse 17, Paul said, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Trust. That word trust, that's a powerful thing. 
Because according to what Paul's saying here is trust is connected to Christ dwelling in us as believers. He's basically saying, as you trust in God, Jesus makes himself at home in our lives. A prayer reveals who we really trust in. We can say we trust in God, but prayer reveals whether or not we really trust in God. And not just if we pray, but how we pray. Because some people pray, some Christians pray, because they love God above all things else. All else, they love God, and so they pray. But some people pray, some Christians pray, because above all else, they love what they think God can do for them. Here's the question we have to ask ourselves when we find ourselves praying for things that we want. Do you want God, or do you want what you think God can do for you? In other words, is he enough? Is Jesus enough? Is he enough, or does he have to do X, Y, and Z for you? Now, how do you know if this is a struggle for you? Number one, pay close attention to what you pray for, and pay closer attention to what you never pray for. So if you're always praying through a list a wish list of things that you think would make your life more comfortable, convenient, and, and make you feel more in control, that's a danger sign. And if you're never praying things like, God, help me just to trust you more. Help, things like Paul prayed here, help the roots of my heart just to grow deep. Into, if you never find yourself praying for inner change, but you always find yourself praying for outer change in your circumstances, this might be something that you should pay attention to. And then here's another thing that you should pay attention to. Pay attention to your heart when you don't seem to get what you want. Anyone in this room ever have a prayer that seems like it didn't get answered the way you wanted it to? I know what that's like. I, I, I've been there. I was there last year multiple times. And we have these things sometimes in our lives that I call non-negotiable prayers. God, do this for me, and I'll serve you forever. If I'm being honest, when I was growing up, I used to use that all the time, all the time. Pop quiz at school. God, help me miraculously know all this information, and I will serve you forever. I'll go anywhere you want. Or every now and then I'll be like, I'll be stuck on the bus. I need to get somewhere to use the restroom. Yeah, you guys have prayed this prayer too. God, get me to a restroom. Get me to a bathroom before I embarrass myself in front of my friends. And I will love you and serve you forever. These non-negotiable prayers, these things that we say, God, if you do this for me, then I will do anything for you. Like we're bartering, like we're bargaining with God. But here's the danger of non-negotiable prayers in your life. You might think, I just got a lot of faith, and so I'm just demanding this from God. And I understand there are times to pray big prayers, and there are times to sort of stand up and say, God, this is who you say in your, you are in your word, and I'm reminding you of who you say you are, and I'm asking for this. And that's okay. I'm not trying to talk you out of that sort of prayer, but here's what I want you to consider. There are, the, the danger of non-negotiable prayers is that they may reveal who or what you really trust in. Instead of praying to your God, you're actually praying for your God. That thing that you want is actually your God. It's the thing that you love most. It's the thing that you adore most. It's the thing that you hope in most. And so if you find yourself saying to God, God, if you give me a great marriage, I'll love you forever. Or if you give me healthy children, let them never get sick and let nothing ever happen to them, then I belong to you. What you're really saying to God is, if you give me my real God, I'll let you be part of it too. And so there's a danger. And in this approach to prayer, here's what we do. We, redu we reduce Jesus from the beautiful treasure that he is, and we make him a useful tool. He's not the treasure. He's not what our heart truly finds beautiful. He's only useful to get what our hearts find beautiful. I used to travel a lot when I was serving as youth director in New York. I'd come home from trips, and I learned in order to get back in my house, after being gone for days, I had to bring stuff with me. It was like a peace offering to my daughters when I would walk in. And uh, 
I remember these times of coming back, and as I'm coming in the door, they're not even looking at my face. Can you believe it? This face, not even looking at it. Can you believe it? They're not even, not even looking at my face. They're looking at my hand. What did daddy bring? What does daddy have? And I love them. doesn't matter. But, you know, that, that's, I feel like sometimes that's maybe how we come to God. We're just sort of like, what do you have for me today? What are you going to do for me? How are you going to improve my life? You're going to give me a good parking spot at the mall during Christmas season? Because I've been fasting for a parking spot. And so you got to come through. Is God alone enough? Don't pray first to see change. Pray first to be changed. So let's talk about praying to be changed. So we saw that there are two problems when we pray first to see change. Here are the, here's the power in praying first to be changed. And the first power is this. There's power in remembering the need. Power in remembering the need. Paul, in verses 14 and 15, says this. He says, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. Paul positions himself. Now, the way he positions himself and the way he calls out to him as his Father and his creator, this is a recognition of need. Most of my life, I've struggled with being a praying Christian. Now I struggle with being a praying pastor. It doesn't come easy for me. I'd rather not pray. I'd rather work. I'd rather write sermons, quite honestly. I'd rather do other things because prayer is work. It's, it's hard work, and it's not immediately rewarding. But why is there prayerlessness in my life, and why is there maybe prayerlessness in your life? And I think one of the main reasons is because we forget how needy we are. And we become overly reliant upon ourselves and overly comfortable in our circumstances. But how much do we need him? And not just for things like food and safety and health, but how much do we need him just to be changed, just to be like him? See, it's one thing to say I can't change my circumstances, but it's an entire, entirely different level of humility to admit and say, not only can I not change my circumstances, I can't even change myself. I can't change myself. But that's exactly what this text is saying. This prayer is saying, you can't change yourself. That's why Paul had to pray for all these things for these people. When we, when we read this text, we love words like resources and power and experience. And we're like, yeah, give me all that, God. But, but look, he said resources so that Christ can dwell in you and you can have inner strength. Power, why? So that you can do amazing things? Yes, but in this prayer, power, just so you can understand his love. If God doesn't give you power, you can't understand his love. Your, my, your mind, my little mind, we can't comprehend God's love. That's how much we need him. We can't love him without his power at work in us, and we can't be stable, and we can't be rooted if he doesn't give us power. And the experience, you got to know what you can't know so that it will bring you to things like completion and maturity and wholeness. So you and I need supernatural intervention if we're going to change. And sometimes we forget because we're kind of impressed with the things we've done to change ourselves. But nothing lasting in the life of the believer happens unless the Spirit of God is at work changing us through his power and through his grace. We forget how great our need is and we forget what our greatest need is. And sometimes we think our greatest need is a healthy body. Listen, I want a healthy body. I mean, I should go to the gym more, but I, I, want, a health, I want a healthy body. But what's, what's my greatest need? I remember when our third uh, daughter was born, Madeline, she was born at 27 weeks and she had a grade four brain hemorrhage uh, in utero before she was born. She has uh, cerebral palsy and she spent the first 90 days of her life in the NICU. She was born at two pounds, one and a half ounces. And I remember being in the NICU with her. It was Valentine's Day. And I was looking at her 
And I was thinking, man, God, she needs a miracle. Like, they didn't know if she was going to make it. God, she needs a miracle. She needs your hand on her life. She needs you to touch her body. She needs you to touch her lungs. She needs you to touch her brain. And in that moment, the Spirit of God spoke two things to me, and I'll never forget this. The Spirit of God said, number one, David, you need me just as much as she does. You're looking at her thinking she needs me to do something. You need me just as much as she needs me. And the other thing I felt like the Spirit said to my heart was, her greatest need is your greatest need. It's not for a physical healing. It's for a spiritual healing. That's her greatest need. That's all of our greatest needs. There's power in remembering the need. And the biggest need we have is we need to be changed. We can't change ourselves, so what do we do? We pray. We pray, God, change me. Start with me. Change my heart. Make me, help me to love you more. Help me to love these lesser things less. Help me to devote my purposes and my plans to you. Change me. Forget my circumstances. Yes, I can pray for those later, but first start with me. Change me in these circumstances. Don't just deliver me from them, but change me in them. There's power in remembering the need. And then lastly tonight, there's power in remembering the name. Verse 12, Paul says, because of Christ, because of Christ, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So it's summertime, which means lots of weddings, right? I'll be doing, uh, you know, when you're a youth pastor, I was a youth pastor for 12 years. Pastor Bobby knows us. When, you, when you're a youth pastor for a long time, you end up doing a lot of weddings. Uh, it's, I guess that's the, one of the benefits. I don't know. But you end up doing a lot of weddings. And um, so I'm, I'm lots of different weddings for different reasons. And one of the interesting things about weddings is that uh, not ev- barely ever does somebody know everyone there, right? Because it's a hodgepodge of people. From, from different times in their life. And I kind of have this strategy when it comes to weddings, specifically to the wedding reception. And uh, the first thing I do is this at the wedding reception is I, I like to get a, I, I like to, uh, first off, find the one um, waiter who's carrying the bacon-wrapped shrimp. And then I just follow that poor soul like a shark on blood. <laughs> but the second thing I like to do if I have the opportunity is uh, a lot of times at weddings there's a buffet, and I like to sort of casually stroll up to the buffet before uh, we are served, and I like to kind of get a look, see what are we doing with here? Like, what are the options? And what I, what I really want to see is uh, what's at the end? What's at the end? The carving station. Because they try to trick you at these buffets, you know? They try to trick you with bread and salad, stuff like that, stuff you'd eat if you were like a rabbit, but I'm not, so I want to skip that and go on to other things. And I want to know because I want to save space because I, so, um, you know, I'm walking around trying to figure things out, and sometimes I'm walking around, and, you know, you meet people at weddings, and the conversation almost always goes like this. Hey, uh, I'm David. I'm, you know, I'm Pat. Well, how do you know the couple, right? Like, what justifies your existence in this room? <laughs> What's the explanation for why you're allowed to have that huge stack of cheese and pepperoni on your plate right now? And so we always say something like, I'm here because I'm the bride's cousin, or I was the groom's college roommate. And we're basically making our case for why we are allowed to be in that room eating all that food based on a relationship that exists. And here's essentially what you're doing, if I can use this term. You're praying in that person's name. You're saying, because of that person, I'm allowed to be here right now. You're coming on the basis of the record of another. And when we say at the end of our prayers, in Jesus' name I pray, it's not trite, 
It's not just tradition. It's the only reason we can come before the Father because we're coming before the Father based on the work and performance of Jesus Christ on our behalf. So when we enter into that throne room and we come before him with boldness and confidence, somebody says to us in the spirit, why are you here? You say, I'm here because I'm here in the name of Jesus. And so prayer is powerful because it's your daily reminder that you are accepted by God and you have access to the Father only because of the work of another. And this is the gospel. The gospel is this, that with his death, Jesus Christ absorbed God's wrath for you, but with his life, Jesus Christ secured your welcome for you. My little Caroline started dance lessons lately and and, or recently, I should say, and she was telling me um, this past week, I was driving home. I said, how's it going? It was only like her third lesson, but she's great at it. And she said, my teacher says I'm a natural. Natural. I said, well, you got it from your daddy. You got it from your daddy. I mean, <laughs> and I said, Caroline, how did that make you feel? And she's only seven, so I figured she'd be like happy, excited. She said, she thought, she goes, it made me feel welcomed. I was like, no, you got that from your daddy. You got that. That's from your daddy. Not the dancing, but the. And I thought, when she said that, I thought, that's what we all want. Where can we feel welcomed? Well, we're welcomed in prayer. You're welcomed into the very throne room of the mighty God. Why? Because you're impressive? No. Because of how you lived this week? No. Because you got it all together? God doesn't accept you and give you access because you're a better, cleaner, nicer, kinder, dressed up, less likely to get angry in traffic version of yourself. God allows you to draw near because you are trusting fully and solely in his son. In fact, he doesn't see you. He sees his son because you're covered in his righteousness and you're praying in Jesus' name. And that's the power in remembering the name. Don't pray first to see change. Pray first to be changed. Now, how do we change? And let me finish with this. Here's how we change. Paul says, tells us in verse 19, he says, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete. He's saying, then you will change. And with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Paul says something that's so sort of hard to understand that the translators have had to tweak it a little bit just so it would make sense to us. Because in 19, here's basically what Paul says. Paul basically in the Greek says, my prayer for you is that you will know what you already know. He's writing to Christians. But that doesn't make any sense to us. What do you mean know what you already know? So that's why it says experience, though you can't understand. But here's what Paul's praying. He's praying for them something that they actually already have. But what he's saying is, you must know in your heart what you know in your head. And that's how we change. Not just knowing, not just hearing, but experiencing. In fact, the Bible uses the sensory language of tasting. We taste and see. My favorite channel to watch, this won't surprise you probably, Food Network. Love the Food Network. Watch all those shows, too many of them. My DVR is filled with them. And what I do when I travel is I try to find places that I've watched on TV and go actually eat the food. Now, it's one thing to watch the meat on TV. And you're like, you're looking at it and, and I can actually describe it to you and I kind of understand what it's all about. But then when I go to the restaurant and I taste it, it's like, now I know. Now I know what I already knew. 
is what Paul is saying here. You need to experience what you know. You can't make it happen for yourself. You can't make it happen for anyone else. So what do we do? We pray. We pray. And prayer positions us to remember our need in his name. And we remember those two things. It changes us. And that's why we pray. Let me pray for you tonight. God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, shape our hearts, transform our minds, conform our wills, change what we love, change how we live by your power and your strength. And I pray for the people of Greece Assembly, just like Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus. I pray that from your glorious unlimited resources that you will empower this church and the people of this church with inner strength through your spirit. I pray that Christ would make his home in their hearts as they trust in you. And I pray, God, that their roots would grow down into your love and that it would keep them strong. And I pray that every member of this church, every person in this church, every person in this room would have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep your love for them is. And may they know what they know. May they experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully, so that they will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. And I pray this in Jesus' great name.